This is News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you as I do every Sunday night, live from the beautiful downtown Vancouver studios. And um, it is always my pleasure to talk to you about sex and health and love and relationships and your body and everything that goes along with a great sex life. Um, you can have an okay sex life. That's okay too. You know, just, um, it's going to wax and wane. Sometimes it's going to be great. Sometimes it won't be, but, um, I love getting your emails. So you keep them coming. Keep emailing me. Go to my website, backtothebedroom.ca. Not only is there a lot of information on there about many of the issues that I talk about on the program, but, uh, there's a contact form and you can email me through that contact form or you can email me at sextalk at cknw.com. So, uh, there's no, email or question that is um, that I will would be upset about you know of course remain respectful but you always do I really never receive anything that is uh, less than savory so typically people are looking for help this is a subject that that is shrouded in shame people are embarrassed to talk about it people have poor education lack of education on it uh, they can be in their doesn't matter 30s 40s 50s 60s 70s they still have questions about sex it is amazing really and we really need to make sex education more widely available we need to start educating beyond stis which are important and how not to get pregnant which is also important but we need to educate about pleasure and desire and arousal and the female sexual response cycles and also you know even kinky scales the kinsey kinky scale have you heard about that you can check um you know uh, your sexual orientation uh, where you lean. Sexuality is fluid. Are you attracted to uh, one sex or the other? Are you attracted to men or women or both? At times, does it change? Uh, so this is one way to uh, check that out. So just Google the Kinsey kinky scale and um, learn a little bit more about yourself. Perhaps you've been wondering certain things about yourself. So there's always uh, information for you out there, but if you don't ask the question, I'll never know. So as I said, keep those emails coming. I love them. Uh, and so here's another email that I wanted to read to you. Dear Maureen, I am going through a severe depression due to my marital issues. We have not had sex in more than two years. My wife claims she is too tired and she no longer seems to be interested in sex or me for that matter. It used to be so great at the beginning of our relationship. We've been married for over a decade and we are at the point now where we are both decided. I really love her to my core, but don't know what she is looking for in our future. I am desperately seeking some guidance and advice, please. Well, first of all, severe depression is a medical condition. So is this a clinical depression? Have you been diagnosed is my first question. A lot of people throw the term depression around left, right, and center like it's going out of style. And so they might get upset or may have a problem in life and they think, I'm depressed. But, you know, we really cannot throw that term around. So if if I'm going to take it that this person is seriously clinically depressed and has this severe depression, likely a situational depression, because of the marital issues, which he does not expand on, I will say. Um, so we're just going to assume that there are a number of marital issues. They can be anything from finances to kids to in-laws to whatever. Um, food, exercise, you know, decor- decorating, uh, renovations, who knows? Uh, they can be anything, but they can have got, they must have gotten to him, uh, to this point that they haven't had sex in two years. They are definitely at a standstill. <laughs> 
And that is not good for a sex life. Also, his wife is tired. So what's going on there? There must be something else going on. Is she caring for the children? Does she have a, uh, parents who are ill? Is she part of the sandwich generation? Um, so this went from great to not so great. So great sex life at the beginning of their relationship, which is fantastic. You can always get that back. But I would certainly suggest that the depression be treated. One of the problems with treating the depression with medication, so if you go straight to medication, but it, but a severe depression often needs medication, but some of the sexual side effects can be low sexual desire. So you have to be very careful with that and work closely with your doctor or a another healthcare provider who can guide you in that. But the first thing you have to do, and it's one of the, the most difficult things for depressed people to do, is to get up and to get out. Honestly, they say about clinical depression that the answer, or severe clinical depression, the answer to somebody's clinical con- depression can be on the other side of the room, and that person with the depression cannot get up and get over to the other side of the room to get that treatment. Some people describe clinical depression as like walking through quicksand every day. Life is extremely hard when you are clinically depressed. It's also incredibly challenging to live with somebody who has clinical depression. Even worse, to live with somebody who has clinical depression who is not seeking the right help or trying to help themselves. But it's a vicious cycle. It's a catch-22 because those with severe depression cannot actually get the treatment that they need. It takes everything in the world for them to be able to do that. Depression is a physical illness. You don't feel good about yourself. You're also not attractive to somebody else. I hate to say that because we don't think of it, and yet we should. We don't think of it like gallbladder disease or a broken leg. I mean, if, if you are married to somebody who's got two broken legs and you know is in traction, you're not going to be thinking about having sex with them. And you're thinking they need to heal, they need to recover. Well, the same goes for somebody with depression, but we don't think that. We get frustrated with somebody with depression because of the symptoms that are exhibited or that are manifested in people with depression. So especially in men, depression looks a little bit different. It can be anger, it can be fatigue, it can be irritability, they can use substances, they can uh, tend to drink more alcohol. They are diagnosed less frequently with depression than women are, yet they are four times greater uh, to commit suicide or to die by suicide than women are. So this is a serious illness. This serious illness needs to be treated first, and then you would move on to deal with your marital issues, your sexless marriage. And perhaps once the depression is has been treated, you will actually be able to help a little bit more around the house, perhaps, if that's what the issue is, if she's raising the kids, working outside of the home, dealing with her parents, your parents, who knows? Women have a tendency to take it all on, all but that. And, and so if you can pick up some of the slack, do some of the housework. Studies have shown that men who actually share some of the housework actually have more sex than those men who don't. So it's not about jumping on the rider mower. It is not about shoveling the snow five times a year in Vancouver. It is about daily help. It is about sweeping the floor, cleaning the toilets, cleaning up after dinner. It's about making dinner. It's about emptying the dishwasher. It's all those mundane tasks that women have a tendency to take on more than men. And, you know, they're difficult to do, especially when you're depressed. They're difficult to do because they're boring. But you know what? They're actually really helpful. They're actually really helpful because it can contribute or to a mindfulness program. So really, when you're sweeping the floor, you know, really focus on that activity. And, and having done that great job afterward, 
you know, there's something satisfying about that. And that's that living in the moment, even emptying the dishwasher. It's a mundane task, but it helps your brain to slow down if you just focus on that. And sometimes people with depression, their mind is racing. They can't turn it off. They can't sleep at night. It is very challenging for somebody to live with somebody who has depression and then expect an intimate relationship. So getting the treatment you need, staying at it, staying on it. There are great medications today, but also every day, exercising, getting out there, walking, going to the gym. Gym does a tremendous uh, amount um, of, there's a tremendous amount of psychological benefit for men who go to the gym. So I would suggest that. I would also suggest some talk therapy. There may be some shame, some guilt, some uh, past unresolved issues with childhood. So talk therapy, exercise, eating properly, cutting out the sugar, no substances. Do not treat your depression with smoking pot or drinking alcohol. In fact, I would re- I would refrain from either one of those substances and any other substance, quite frankly, um, and live a healthy life that, in which you are engaged and you calm down. And once that's treated, you'll be able to deal with your marital issues. So um, thanks for that email and thanks for all of your emails. And um, we'll continue on with some of those. I am Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. <laughs> Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Maureen McGrath here hosting this program for you. Always my pleasure. Thank you for being here with me this evening and uh, and staying with me, having some staying power uh, tonight. Uh, we're going to be moving on to orgasms. You know, orgasms are often elusive for many women. Uh, we don't educate about pleasure. I often ask pat- uh, women, well, patients in my clinical practice, um, if they were ever taught about pleasure and the answer is no, I will often, when I'm doing presentations to two, 300 women, how many women were taught about pleasure from their, either from their gym teacher who delivered the sex talk in uh, grade nine or from their mother. And uh, it's a resounding no, no hands go up. So we're not taught about pleasure. And one fact is that most women Uh, 70% in fact require clitoral stimulation in order to experience orgasm. And there's only about 30% who are the fortunate ones who are able to have G-spot or internal orgasms, but the best kind are the blended kind. Um, But let's just get started on one of the other two in the, in the first place. But, um, and you know, there's so many benefits to orgasm as well. It helps you to sleep, helps your mood, reduces stress. So this is an important health feature of life, shall we say. There's no other reason for the clitoris except for pleasure. And, you know, you don't have to be in a relationship. You can actually, self-stimulation is fine. A lot of women, uh, most women uh, do self-stimulate, but a lot of women find they don't need to if they're in a relationship. But um, it's also that communication with your partner to tell your partner um, the right spot, where it is, if you are not in a relationship, even if you are in a relationship, if you want to have great orgasms, there's always the womanizer, which is a clitoral suckling device. It's an amazing uh, sex toy, but it's actually a therapeutic device, and I prescribe it for my patients that have primary anorgasmia in my office, and it is always effective. And there are no other sex toys like it, quite frankly, and also it will help you 
to have that blended orgasm, which is even better. But I do want to talk about a little bit about, um, there's a, there seems to be a whole group of women who are like, oh, orgasm's not important. Are you kidding me? This is not the message that you need to listen to. Orgasm is extremely important. It's incredibly important. And, and you know, oftentimes when couples come into my clinical practice and, or even if just the guy comes in and he's like, my wife doesn't like to have sex, it's like, you know, I ask the women, are you experiencing orgasm? And oftentimes they say no. Partly they don't know that it requires um, clitoral stimulation. Uh, the other thing is uh, a lot of women are not comfortable with oral sex. And so there's no oral sex that goes on in the relationship. And so oral sex is important as well. There's Sometimes there's no better way to receive pleasure or to give pleasure. And But women feel that it's unhygienic and women are not vulnerable enough. They're not comfortable with it. And, and so that's why trust in the relationship is important and attraction, making sure you are loving the one you're with or, or with the one you love anyway, um, that uh, can be very helpful. So orgasm, that's my point, is very important and it will help you to want to do that again. And, and often women will say, you know, when I do engage in in sex with my partner and I, and it is pleasurable and I do experience an orgasm. I think, why didn't I do that yesterday? And why don't I do that tomorrow? But women have short memories unless you've done something wrong. And then they remember that for like 20 years. But anyway, <laughs> we remember it for <laughs> forever and ever. Um, but w- when it, re- when it comes down to sex, women have short memories, but oftentimes if it's pleasurable, it's, if it's good for them, uh, they will then wish they had done it. Um, or wish they're doing it a lot more frequently. And I bet you do too. But blended orgasm. So why are those important? And what exactly is a blended orgasm? Well, it's the, it's the mixing or the chemical reaction, shall I say, of two fabulous things, uh, a clitoral orgasm and a G-spot orgasm. And they are both amazing. Um, but they're different and, and they're different every time. And, you know, I, I wanted to make another point about uh, G-spot orgasms or internal orgasms is that you may be able to have an internal orgasm with John, but you may not be able to have that internal orgasm with Dave. Okay, so you might be able to have a fabulous internal orgasm or G-spot orgasm with Rick, but not is the same. The same is not for your present husband who is actually a, a good guy and someone you're in love with. And But sometimes there's an anatomical reason for that as well. So we have to, you have to keep that in mind. And a lot of women will say, you know, I, I've only, I had one patient, she was actually a widow and she um, said she'd only had one orgasm in her lifetime with, and I said, oh, was that, her, her husband had just died. And I said, oh, was that with your husband? And she said, no, it was a boy when I was 20 years old. Anyway, it was like 49, 49 years and she had not forgotten that orgasm. So make sure that the woman in your life does not forget her orgasm. And she won't if it is a blended orgasm. So the blended orgasm is a combination of a clitoral orgasm and a G-spot orgasm. I mean, this is a recipe for a mind-blowing mixture of complete sensation that you will want to come back more and more for. So you can also train the intensity or enhance the intensity of your orgasm. And this takes practice. Sometimes you might need to bring in a sex toy in addition to the clitoral stimulation. So you bring the sex toy, the guy, the (laughs) everybody yourself, everybody participates in this party. Um, And it's like an orgasm smoothie. (laughs) 
<laughs> anyway, I digress. Um, but you want to bring this back in, you know, blend it all together. There's nothing like it, but you know what? It takes time. You have to set aside some time. You can't be tired. You need to be into it. You need to be vulnerable. You need to be comfortable with your body. That's why exercise too is so important for women. Women have so many body image issues that impact a great sex life. Um, but you know, the way to bring on this blended orgasm is stimulation of more than one erogenous zone at the same time. So, um, you want to actually stimulate the uh, clitoris and which also is, is not just a, a, a bump basically on the, uh, underneath the clitoral hood or, um, in the labia. It actually extends, it's much bigger than, than people realize and it extends down the sides. So you want to stimulate all of that area. And at the same time, you may insert a, a dildo or the finger of your partner. He may, or she, who, if you're in a same sex relationship, um, may actually stimulate inside while uh, you are stimulating outside or there's also the couple's vibe that can actually stimulate the clitoris as well as internally. Um, and there are so many different types of orgasm that women can experience, but uh, we're not going to complicate things right now, okay? We're just going to keep it simple. So something to work toward, if you, especially if you want to increase that bond, increase that in- intimacy, make it as pleasurable as possible. So you want to make that combination and have a blended orgasm. So it's it's a more advanced type of climax because it really requires that you are comfortable with your body, that you know your body, and that your partner knows your body very well. And that takes communication. So with all of our you know medical and scientific experts, Expertise. There's still debate over the female anatomy. That's because it hasn't been studied enough. But, um, you know, the, as I said, the clitoris is not simply that little bump of nerves um, that we all know and love so much. But that clitoris has legs. It actually extends around. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Maureen McGrath here, educating you about sex and health, your body, your relationship, love, and anything else in between. Depends on what you put in between. Anyway, um, I want to tell you about a particular patient that I had recently that was such a sad situation. I'm going to call her Donna. That's not her real name. She was in her late 40s, kissing 50, and um, she had always been healthy, but she found a lump in her throat, and she was diagnosed with throat cancer. She was not a smoker, not a drinker, but the throat cancer was found to be from HPV, the human papillomavirus, genital warts. We vaccinate now against genital warts today for women, and and soon boys as well, fortunately, will will also be getting the Gardasil 9 vaccine starting this September here in Vancouver, anyway, or in British Columbia. You can't vaccinate half the population and expect the disease to eradicate. So it never made any sense to me that only the girls and um, at-risk boys were were being vaccinated um, under the care of the government. So or under MSP that that it was covered. So otherwise, it was the responsibility to of uh, of parents to um, vaccinate their their children. And some people just didn't bother or couldn't afford it or didn't understand it. So now every child will be vaccinated here in British Columbia anyway, which is great. Um, the good news about HPV-related cancers is that they are very treatable, very curable. You you most commonly see these types of throat cancers, head and neck cancers, in people between the ages of 50 and 75. And historically, the risk was related to alcohol consumption and tobacco use, but no more. Um 
it used to be uncommon that we found HPV-related cancers in non-smokers, non-drinkers, but not anymore, unfortunately and very sadly. Um, as I said, they are treatable with a combination of chemotherapy and radiation. And this is a very common approach here in Canada. Sometimes uh, surgery is necessary depending upon what's going on, depending on if it's a neck cancer or throat cancer. Um, and so the cure rates approach 90%, especially or, or even greater than that in patients like Donna. Um, and that's outstanding. That's um, almost as good as the five-year breast cancer rates, which w- which is what we have here in British Columbia, which is closer to 92%. So that's outstanding that you have a 90% cure rate in something. But many people are uh, nervous, they're anxious, they're, they're not trusting of traditional medical therapy. And this was the case with Donna initially. She went to her doctor and was referred to the cancer clinic and heard about the chemo and the radiation therapy that would likely cure her cancer. 90% statistic here. That's amazing. If somebody were to say, you know, I can treat you and there's a 90% chance you're going to be better, I think you're going to go for it. But you see, Donna had always, uh, along with her own GP, and, and more and more frequently recently, had been going to see a naturopath, a naturopathic doctor. So she told her naturopathic doctor about her diagnosis and the suggested treatment. And the naturopathic doctor sold her some bill of goods, some bag of junk, uh, some teas, high-dose vitamin C, minerals and vitamins, and uh, because he said, your cancer is incurable, but you try this and you'll be able to live longer, basically. So Donna was hesitant to try the treatment, to go through the chemotherapy and the radiation because she didn't believe the evidence. She didn't believe. And sometimes people believe that alternative treatments cannot do any harm. And somehow n- this word natural is associated with healthy it's associated with better. Well, you can use the word natural and you don't have to actually comply with any regulations with Health Canada oftentimes. And and so this was a real quandary for Donna because she was seriously thinking that she was going to go. In fact, she started taking the high dose vitamin C, which quite honestly, she's going to void out. She's going to urinate that vitamin C. It might irritate her bladder on the way. Um, it's not going to, there's no evidence to support that vitamin C or any of these other minerals or teas were going to actually cure her cancer. Well, he said it was incurable anyway, but it wasn't going to extend her life or whatever bag of promises he delivered her. This naturopathic industry is a bit of a wild west. Um, You know, it's a bit of a renegade, especially out here, because they can state whatever they want in terms of medical claims. And this is, you know, this is really unfair to patients because oftentimes naturopathic doctors or people who are selling you vitamins and minerals and this and that and this gimmick and that gimmick, oftentimes you don't even, what they say is in the product isn't even in the product. They also provide false information. They um, sell expensive treatments. You will always have to buy something at a naturopathic doctor's office. Now, 
some of the things about naturopathic doctors, like some of the treatments that help to manage stress that are not ingested, might be okay. You know, there's also a 30% placebo effect with anything that you put into your mouth. So um, a lot, oftentimes these expensive treatments don't work. I've actually been offered free treatments in naturopathic doctor's offices, and I, and I go for like, you know, whatever, they, the massage or the, you know, whatever. And then they, as I'm leaving, they're like, oh, based on your assessment, you're going to need this, this, and this. And it's like $300. And I'm like, forget it. I don't need any of that. Um, there's a website www.naturopathicdiaries.com and there are a number of stories about these wild medical claims so you know we do need more oversight regulation of naturopaths and what people are allowed to sell and what they're allowed to claim in naturopathic stores Um, you know as a, a physician if a physician did that they would lose their license likely and and their job their credibility, their reputation. They'd be sued. The naturopaths are never sued. In fact, there was a question one time. It said, what do naturopaths and traditional doctors, medical doctors, talk about after a patient dies? And the answer was nothing. They actually never confer with each other, or rarely. Um, Sometimes there's, you know, if it's more promoting health and more promoting a less stressful time during an illness, during treatment, during recommended treatment, because of evidence in the literature, then there may be um, some uh, discussion, not even discussion, but um, alignment, some parallel pathways. Um, So if a doctor said there's no treatment and I'm just going to give you a bunch of vitamins, they would be likely charged with criminal negligence. And this would, you know, these are all reasonable things that would happen to physicians. So not all physicians are perfect. Not all physicians know the latest, especially it's really difficult for general practitioners to, to remain up on every treatment for every medical condition because they have so much obesity, diet, uh, diabetes, and hypertension to deal with. Those are kind of the mainstay things, and they don't even deal with the obesity very well. But as a result of the obesity, you often see the type 2 diabetes or the adult onset diabetes and the hypertension. So they're dealing with those things and, and heart attacks, and um, but they're not actually uh, not well-versed in all of these other medical conditions. So it's difficult. So it's their job to refer you on to a specialist someone who does know, and it's not going to be a naturopath. So we, why do we have this double standard um, that naturopaths can get away with whatever they say? And, and even people who just sell these products. I mean, I honestly, I could sell, and it's been offered to me. Why don't you sell, you know, like you create it in China, wrap it up in, with your name, and, and pass it off to people to help with menopausal symptoms or fatigue or whatever. And I just, I just ethically cannot do that. I, I will not be discovering anything that's going to change your life. There's nothing that I will peddle to uh, make your life better. The only thing that I will peddle is taking care of yourself, uh, speaking to your doctor. Fortunately, Donna did decide to undergo treatment, and um, we won't know if she's cured for five years because it's a fairly recent um, uh, recent case, but her chances are excellent and she's feeling better. And you know what? Had she listened to that naturopath, which she was seriously considered, considering, we may have had a different outcome. So talk to your doctor. Get as much information as possible. Sometimes the internet is good, but other times it can be incredibly dangerous. But if it seems too good to be true or 
feels like it's false information or there's or if naturopaths are profiting by providing false information to you that harms your patient, then that's a bit of a red flag. So anyway, email me if you have any questions at all about that. Uh, you can go to my web- website, backtothebedroom.ca or sextalk at cknw.com. I'll be back after the break. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. I love your emails. I am Maureen McGrath. You can email me anytime and I've got just another one for you, dear Maureen. I was wondering if there is anything abnormal about a 47-year-old virgin. I just haven't found anyone to have sex with yet. Oh, you will. There's nothing abnormal about anything, okay? We're all abnormally normal. Normally abnormal. <laughs> Whatever. We're all quirky in our own way. So there's nothing... Uh, you know what? If It is what it is, and that's what it is, and that's fine. If you're upset by it, if it's causing you grief in your life, that's another issue, and you may want to seek to find somebody out there. But it might be interesting also to know that fully 96% of Americans between the ages of 20 and 59 have had sex according to a new sex study conducted by the National Center for Health Statistics. This is a branch of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention because they are very interested in who is having sex because of the risk of sexually transmitted infections. While only 4% of U.S. adults are virgins, the rest have engaged in some type of sex, including oral and anal sex. And anal sex is becoming more and more mainstream. And in fact, Harvard University provides a week-long course for its freshmen every year on anal sex because it's important for them to be educated about it. And uh, there are anal trainers that can help. Lots of lube is something else. Um, just being comfortable around it, uh, you know, and also setting limits and boundaries, boundaries, what you're okay with, what you're not okay with. Um, but by the time individuals reach age 21, fully 85% have had sex. So it may be unusual that somebody at 47 has not had sex falling into that 4% category. Um, but uh, twenty by age 21, 85%. So there you go, parents, okay? For those of you who think your children are not having sex in their teenage years, that is not true. Um, amongst the black population, 28% report having first sex before the age of 15 compared with 14% of whites. Um, 15% of all adults abstained from sex until they were 21 years of age. So that's the age of majority in the U.S. in particular. Um, So many people wait until they are at the age of majority before they have sex. 17% of men and 10% of women said they had two or more sexual partners in the past year. For all men... All men, all you guys out there, although you have been, um, you know, adding the notches onto the bedposts, the median number, that means half below and half above, the median number of sexual partners is 6.8. So there you go, okay? It's not 30 or 40. And for all women, the median number of sexual partners is about half that. It's about 3.7. And and that goes along with uh, the trends that I see in my clinical practice. The younger a person is, the more likely he or she is to have had multiple partners. Overall, only 11% of unmarried adults are virgins. And that's another segment. What is virginity? <laughs> um, so... 
One of the things that bothers researchers the most is how young so many people are when they start having sex. And sometimes they can go into this without the right guidance and without the right education. This is a major public health problem and that we still are seeing a lot of adults reporting their sexual debut at a very young age. So what was your sexual debut? Was it uh, earlier than you'd hoped? I mean, some people get very... Uh, nervous about it, feel guilty about it, don't enjoy those initial first years. And that has a lot to do with um, education and religion, quite frankly, or society, societal pressures. Of course, it's okay for guys to have sex and it's not okay for women to desire sex. Who said that? Who made that up? Obviously not me. I host a sex show. Um, It's fine if women enjoy sex. Uh, So that's just a little interesting uh, question, I thought. Um, So... You think about your sexual debut and just, just, uh, I'm just wondering how your performance is going <laughs> since that debut. Are you still selling tickets to it? Anyway, could you? Uh, we try and promote, uh, great sex here on the program and, and just a great life overall. I have another email that I wanted to read just before the end of the program. Uh, dear Maureen, I've been with my husband for 15 years. We have sex once a year. I've been beating myself up about it since we got together. We've tried to talk about it without success. And yes, he watches porn online. And yes, I feel shame. I have a medical condition that leads to painful sex all the time. What can I do? Well, there's a lot wrapped up in this as well. Um, I am going to imagine this woman is of menopausal age because she describes painful sex and being married for 15 years, having sex once a year. You know, that is a risk of a sexless marriage is pornography, watching it online. It doesn't mean that it's wrong or it's bad uh, unless it impacts your relationship. The biggest problem here is the painful sex, which is most likely due to vaginal dryness. Vaginal dryness is the result of decreasing estrogen receptors in the urogenital tract. It's otherwise known as genitourinary syndrome of menopause, and it strikes about 70% of women in the menopausal years. And so I would suggest having that treated. And the three-pronged approach typically is personal moisturizers like Gynotroph or Repigyne, along with low-dose localized estrogen therapy and vaginal dilators. If that doesn't work, you can move on to laser therapy, known as the Mona Lisa Touch, which I talked about a little bit earlier in the program. That is hormone-free. It's a laser. Uh, We're having great results with that. Uh, Women are getting relief from their vaginal dryness. They're no longer having painful sex. They're also getting treated for light bladder leakage as well. And there's some evidence to support that it's working for lichen sclerosis, a skin condition um, that many women have uh, that can be a lifelong condition and result in burning and itching of the vulva. And it can be, um, it can really impact a woman's sexual self-esteem. So get your vaginal dryness treated. Talk to your doctor about that or, or talk to me about it. I'm an expert in that area. As I said, I'm the vagina whisperer. Did I say that? Um, but anyway, I treat so many vaginas because they we forget about them. This large, hollow, muscular organ that delivers life and receives love. But it's a very important organ. So I would do that. I would then start uh, talking to your husband about sex and starting getting back to the bedroom. There is something to be said for Nike. Just do it. Uh, but you might have to just do it slowly. And once the treatment takes effect, maybe start with a finger or start with um, other 
aspects of intimacy outer course before you go toward intercourse. But those vaginal dilators, they come in a, um, it's like a, a box of about eight. They look like candles of, of um, increasing thickness uh, or girth. And you start with the smallest one and stretch the introitus or the vaginal opening and advance to the larger ones until you can accommodate a penis. Anyway, that sounds a little clinical, but that's all right. This is a clinical show. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for being with me. We are at the end of the program. I really appreciate all of your emails and I appreciate all of you listeners out there. It's, it's great to have you and it's great to have people who are interested in this very important subject, sex and sexuality and sexual health, because it is so related to so many aspects of our lives. It's related to your finances. It's related to your children. It's related to your to your in-laws, to your quality of life, to your exercise, to your sleep, to your pain, to your mood. It's related to everything. And so the more you can learn about it, the better. And if there's something you want to teach me, by all means, pop me an email. Go to my website, backtothebedroom.ca. You can follow me on Twitter, at back, the number two, the bedroom. I blog twice a week at Fifty Shades of Pink, and I typically share that on LinkedIn. Um, so you can watch for my posts over there. I also am working with the BCIC, the British Columbia Innovation Counselor, where I am a matchmaker. Do you have a healthcare problem that you need an innovative solution for? Well, I can matchmake you with the appropriate company. So by all means, email me about that if you like. There's lots of issues within our healthcare system and in clinics and, and in healthcare companies. Or if you have a great idea, let me know. So email me. Go to my website to fill out the contact form, backtothebedroom.ca or sextalk.com cknw.com and uh, you know um, we're always learning and we're always living and we're loving and, and life is to be enjoyed and one way is through love and intimacy and, and great sex so for you I hope uh, a great relationship and a great sex life and, uh, and for this week I wish for you a very sexually healthy week so until next time Thank you so much for listening. I am Maureen McGrath, and you have been listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Thanks so much, everybody. Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk. This is News Talk 980 CKNW.